This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, and today I'm going to be talking about unity disunity and threats to the nature of the church. And really, it's going to be some reflections off the book of Acts as we've been traveling through this at Cornerstone about what are the great dangers to the church of Jesus Christ. But before I get into that, I did just want to take a minute or two. I'm joined by uh, special guests, Reed and Avery Vance, uh, respectively eight and 10 years old. Reed, Avery, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Are you guys, how are you doing today? Good. Good. So Reed and Avery are joining me on this podcast because, as with many of you parents, uh, I have two kiddos home from school that we are doing uh, kind of hybrid education. And so Avery and Reed, how has school been so far today? Amazing. Amazing, Avery. It's good. I'm already done. You're already done? Yeah. Is it because of how good of a teacher I am? No. Oh, Avery. No, I, it's really because Avery's a great student. You're doing a great job. And Reed, you're doing very well, too. We're learning math, adding by tens, and words that end with CK and things like that. It's very good. Reed's doing a great job. So these two uh, are awesome kids, and they have promised me as well that they're going to do a great job. They wanted to be part of the podcast recording this week, but... They also promise they would be very quiet when they do too, right, guys? Yes. Yeah. So you're just gonna listen in. You're avid equip podcast listeners, right? Like it's one of your favorite podcasts. Uh, yeah. Okay. They were less confident about that. Okay. Love you guys. Just let's not be too loud while Daddy records the podcast. Got it? Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye to our viewers from Avery and Reed. Great job, guys. Thanks for being part of it. All right. So. I love my kids. They're doing a great job, and uh, thanks for letting them be part of the podcast this week. So my reflection that I want to share with you is pretty simple, but I have been noticing a pattern as I've been reading through the book of Acts, and here's the principle that is at the core of it, that the great danger to the life of the church, when you look at the book of Acts or when you look through the history of the church, is not outside persecution— or outside threats, but inside the church, sin, false teaching, and fighting. So the great threat against the church doesn't come from cultural pressure outside. Even severe persecution in the early church doesn't thwart the mission of Jesus. The threat to the life of the church is almost always sin inside the walls of the church. The gates of hell can't prevail against the church. When hell advances against the church of Jesus, it has no power to overthrow it. But inside the church, there are threats that can have a great impact. So what I want to do is just walk you through a couple of the key examples of this in Acts. So particularly, the first principle is that persecution outside the church even though it looks like a threat to the life of the church in every instance, ends up actually strengthening the witness and resilience of the church. So first incident of this that we noted in the book of Acts, as I've been reading, is Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John have preached. They've been arrested, brought before the chief priests. 
who warn them. They say, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John respond and say, in essence, we, we are going to have to obey God rather than you. Here's then what happens. Reflecting on that incident where they're told, don't preach, it says the entire group of those who are believed were of one heart and mind. No one claimed his possessions as his own. Instead, they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. So, when the chief priests say, do not preach, and threaten the early church, what's the first thing that this says? It says, now the whole group who believed were of one heart and mind. In other words, the persecution of the church didn't threaten its existence. It built its unity. That is consistent through the book of Acts. The next time Peter and John are brought before the chief priests, the reflection after they are brought before them is they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin. This is Acts 5, 41 and 42, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we could go even further. Pastor Troy just preached on the death of Stephen the martyr at Cornerstone, the first killed for his faith in the Christian church. And so you could think, oh my goodness, they're noticing now that Christians are being stoned for their faith. They are dying a martyr's death. Well, what happens to the church in the midst of that great persecution? Well, let me read that to you. Acts chapter 8. Verse 1, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. That's the, the thing to note. Prior to this point in the book of Acts, the movement of the church was largely geographically contained to Jerusalem. And now, after the martyring of Stephen, what happens is the persecution of the church is the means by which God uses to kind of disperse the church. And as they go everywhere, they go there preaching the word. Well, what happens as they go there preaching the word? They see an expansion of the gospel mission, and the word continues to move forward all throughout. Ultimately, here's the result. Acts, you go all the way forward to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen says, those who'd been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one but Jews. But there were some among them from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch, began preaching to the Gentiles, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So, persecution from the outside and incredible threats, even threats of death, don't thwart the mission of the early church. They move it forward. 
They scatter it out geographically. They build the resilience of the faith of the early church. And ultimately speaking, in the story of the book of Acts, as we go all the way to the end of it, as the gospel goes ultimately from Jerusalem to Rome, how is it that the gospel gets to Rome through an apostle? Well, it's because Paul goes there imprisoned by Rome. In an appeal to Caesar, he is transported to Rome and continues to witness for the good news of Jesus to Roman rulers, to all sorts of people. And the end of the book of Acts says, Acts 28 verse 30, Paul stayed two years in his own rented house. It's a sort of house arrest in Rome. He welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, in one sense, the story of the book of Acts is actually about God building his church, not just in spite of persecution, but because of it. The early church had a phrase they used to say. They said, the blood of the martyrs waters the seed of the church. It's actually the response that the church had to persecution that proved the fidelity and reality of their faith in Jesus. So, threats from the outside cannot slow down the movement of the church in the book of Acts. So what is the great danger that faces the church? The answer is sin, false teaching, and fighting. Sin inside the church, false teaching that rises up inside the church, and fighting among the members of the church. Let's just briefly review a few passages. Acts chapter 5, the first instance of this. Ananias and Sapphira, they see the generosity of the church and instead they choose to lie. And actually they are struck dead by God because of their lying. Why is it they were struck dead? Have you thought about that? That seems so extreme. The answer is because their sin was a greater threat to the life of the church than the persecution that would pop up chapters later. God doesn't strike dead the people who stoned Stephen but he does judge sin inside the church. Why? Because lying and selfishness, a desire to see yourself elevated, that threatens the life of the church. What's the next dispute in Acts? Acts chapter 6. Deacons are put in because why? Acts 6 verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint, an argument by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. There arose a disagreement inside the church. These weren't just random Greek-speaking Jews and random Hebrew-speaking Jews. No, these were followers of the way, converts to Jesus, who noted, hey, we're being overlooked. And it gets so important that the 12, the apostles are summoned and it says, it wouldn't be right for us to give up the preaching of the word to wait on tables. You know what they're saying? They're saying this dispute has gotten so serious that we may have to neglect the proclamation of the gospel to fix this internal fight. Again, the threat, the thing that could slow down the preaching of the word is not a threat from a Jewish leader but infighting inside the church. Ultimately, we see the example of this in the highest case in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15. As after preaching the gospel, Paul is going to be pulled back into the Jerusalem church where there are people who are among them. I'm going to read Acts 15 and verse 5. 
Whereas the rest of the church welcomes Paul after he's proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles, it says some among the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, stood up and said, it's necessary to circumcise these Gentiles and command them to keep the law of Moses. That is a false teaching fight rising up in the midst of the church. Acts 15, ultimately the church works through that and ends up, thankfully, arriving at a great conclusion that the law of Moses is not required for obedience in order to be saved by faith in Christ. But Acts 15, in one sense, is this a it is a potent threat to the life of the early church because the proclamation of the gospel is being stalled out as they're fighting amongst themselves over false teaching. What does Paul say? Here's the last thing I'm going to mention. Acts chapter 20, Paul in one of his missionary journeys goes to the town of Ephesus. And as he preaches among them, ultimately he's being sent by God back to Jerusalem and he warns the Ephesian elders as he leaves them. I'm going to read this. He says, be on guard. Elders, for yourself and for all the flock, Acts twenty twenty eight, which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come. And he doesn't say savage wolves will come from the Romans who oppose you. Savage wolves will come as pagans try to make you into. No, he says savage wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from among your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. You see the great threat to the Ephesian church? It's not opposition from Rome. It's not the pressure of the culture around. It's false teaching and fighting from inside. The gates of hell can't prevail against the church, but if sin is inside the church, it can tear it down. Now, what's the application of this to our lives today? Well, right now, we do live in a time where the, I think the tide of American and Western culture is, for one of the first times in several hundred years, moving away from American Christianity. There are actually anti-Christian forces out there that are much stronger. I mean, historically, to be an evangelical or a Protestant believer in North America came with a sort of, you could call it social capital. It was worth something. It was a positive thing, generally speaking. Well, now we know that in the broader culture of America, that's not necessarily true. There are threats to religious liberty from a rising LGBTQ movement. In other words, we're, we're seeing inside of even Western culture pressure that pushes against the church. And I want us to zoom out beyond America, not to lose sight of this, that globally, the rise of authoritarian leadership is bringing a lot of severe, severe persecution to Christians. Throughout Southeast Asia, we're seeing a rise in persecution of the church that is very, very strong right now. So, as the culture begins to turn against Christianity in some ways, many people are saying, we have to do something right now to make sure we defend ourselves and our rights, because if, if we don't, the church isn't going to survive this. And what I want to say is, certainly, I do think there's a place in Western culture to fight to preserve religious freedom, not just for Christian groups, but for all groups. It's one of the cherished values of our culture, and we need to fight to preserve it. I'm not arguing we shouldn't. But what I am saying is, actually, historically, in the book of Acts and through the history of the church, a pure church thrives and grows under pressure from the outside. 
A culture that is opposed to the values of Christianity means that Christianity stands out like light in the darkness. It makes the witness of the Christian more vibrant because it's different than the culture. So outside threats have rarely been an actual existential level threat for the church. You know what has threatened the church of Jesus Christ, not just in our modern day, but historically? Sin inside the walls, false teaching and false doctrine, and fighting among God's people. I'm going to be very blunt here. I think the fighting among God's people where our allegiance to scripture seems to be less fervent than our allegiance to public policies and politics, an overly politicized church is a greater greater threat to the nature of our church than a changing culture. F- Christians fighting with one another over justice issues, and having these, we should wrestle through the scripture together. We should take these questions seriously. But Christians dividing from one another over over this stance on this culture and this stance, Christians moving and dividing from one another over how their church handles something like the coronavirus, those things are a far greater threat to the life of the church because sin, false teaching, and infighting has always been a greater danger to the church of Jesus Christ than pressure from the culture outside. So in a moment where we are at, I do think, a kind of cultural inflection point and crossroads in terms of how the Western world and the United States will respond to American Christianity— I want you to know I'm not afraid. As we read through the book of Acts, we see that the gates of hell don't prevail against the church and against severe threats of persecution, even ultimately many real threats of death that were inflicted on the church. The gospel thrived, it moved forward, and the church was purified and healthy. A healthy church exists under pressure. In fact, you could argue in some ways the pressure helps to make the church healthy because it clarifies where your true allegiance lies. So right now, don't be afraid, church. In the midst of election, no matter whether the candidate that you wanted won or lost, don't be afraid that the church is in the midst of an existential crisis because of an outside movement that will silence its voice. An outside movement can't stop the church. But you know what can stop the church? Sin inside. Division. False teaching. We should be far more worried about the nature of our unity inside the church right now than we are worried about about the nature of the cultural conflict outside the church in the world. So, Christian, you want to do something that's going to preserve the gospel witness in American culture? Be a faithful member of a local church. Members of Cornerstone, here's my heart for us right now. Realize the eternally and incredibly significant thing you are doing when you love your brothers and sisters inside the church. Realize that the unity of the church is a precious commodity to be treasured and to be valued. And realize that the greatest dangers that we learn from the book of Acts to the life of the church 
are never going to be found from false, from pressure from a false culture outside the church. The great danger to the life of the church is sin inside our own hearts, inside of our own churches, us giving way to false teaching and infighting instead of proclaiming the gospel. That's the threat we need to be worried about right now. And it's the one that we can do something about. You may have little control over how to change the cultural currents in America, but you know what we can all do? We can be eager to preserve the bonds of unity this spirit has wrought. We can cling to the scripture and hold to sound teaching. And we can love one another and work to unity. That's something we can do. And it's an eternally significant work as the gospel goes forward through the church. 